May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, we're all still here. I, I promised myself I wasn't going to say anything about that this weekend. Uh, I knew it was going to come out, though. Uh, let's see. Just couldn't help but say it. Um, it, it is interesting, and I, I won't dwell on that long, but I mean, obviously the day is young. Every day is. Um, and as, as Catholic Christians, we know that the, uh, uh, the second coming could happen at any time. We prepare for it all our lives by, 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 by following after Christ, by, by being a member of his body, by receiving his sacraments, by listening to his word, and by trying likewise to proclaim his faith, both in, uh, in, in, in word and using words, as you know, as St. Francis said, using words when necessary, but by, but by living our lives uh, as, as befitting for a Christian. Uh, nonetheless, we do make that prayer, as Christian, Christians always have, Maranatha, you know, Lord Jesus, come quickly. <laughs> Some days more than others, it seems like a you know, very fitting prayer, depending how your day is going. But... Uh, <clears throat> In some ways, that actually leads us, I think, into the gospel today. Isn't that strange? Um, <clears throat> I've come across a quote from St. John Chrysostom, as you know, one of, one of the great fathers of the church, whom I'm always fond of trundling out for as, as I read him. Um, when we think about people who have given their, uh, their well, in some, some cases, given their life savings to uh, churches or movements that are proclaiming one given day as the end of time or something or the second coming, and devote all that energy, energy that might have been used in so many other ways, resources that might have been used in relieving the sufferings of so many people. I don't want to pass judgment on anybody, but um, I, I don't know what kind of, uh, kind of despondency or despair sometimes there must be in a life that's so, so eager to have everything, you know, fixed on one day. Uh, I fear sometimes there might be something, something lying beneath that. Uh, the quote I came across in St. John Chrysostom was on a reflection of this gospel today, from St. John's Gospel, the 16th chapter. Blessed John, the golden-mouthed one, he wrote, Great is the tyranny of despondency, and much courage do we need so as to stand manfully against the feeling, and after gathering from it what is useful, to let the superfluous go. There's a lot more there than meets the eye. Great is the tyranny of despondency, the tyranny of despair. Now, this is an old, old, an old idea, of course, given, given to Christians. Uh, you know, he's writing in the 4th century. He's actually, St. John was drawing on the teachings of the Desert Fathers. These are, you know, 3rd third, third century or so monastics out in the, in the Egyptian desert. And they had this te- the same sort of teaching that really the greatest, uh, the greatest tyranny placed upon the soul in so many ways is that tyranny of despair or despondency. It's classed, you know, despair or despondency is, is considered to be a sinful passion. Consider that. And we say it occurs when, when you know, when the Christian feels as though we're under some kind of persecution, when we feel beaten down, uh, and also times when, the, when God seems strangely absent. Things ever had that kind of feeling in your life. Um, and you feel a great detachment from God at some points in your life when prayer doesn't come easily. Uh, we can easily fall into despair. Now St. John Chrysostom, when he's speaking about that, he's talking at one level, and we'll see in just a moment, talking about the despair over things like sin, you know, our own faults. Oh. You know, if you have the momentary guilt, or sometimes the guilt lasts longer. But it can become a tyrant, can't it? 
I mean, I have to be wise to admit, I don't know if any of you have ever felt, you know, d- despair or despondency being a tyrant to your being. And you start to dwell oh, on troubles, and you start to dwell on your faults, and you start to dwell on, on mistakes you've made, you start to dwell on all the things that seem so, so, you know, so impossible to overcome in life. Well, it can be a tyrant. And that's what St. John Chrysostom is saying. And that happens, he said, also when, the, when God seems strangely absent from the Christian. Now, if we ask about that notion of God being absent, really, um, well, you have to admit, Gesundheit, the incarnate God, I mean, Jesus Christ, uh, he's not currently with us bodily, it appears. I mean, we know that he ascended, right? And all of him, they said, the church fathers said, all... Uh, all the remains of Christ has ascended into the sacraments. So we have him we have him present in his holy word, we have him present in the sacraments, we have him present amongst us as the mystical body of Christ, but very differently in the way that the apostles had him after his resurrection, right? I mean that's I think that's a given. They had him as an actual glorified resurrected being, standing there back with them, you know. Uh, after his after his resurrection, he was with them once again for forty days teaching, uh, and we don't. It's a very different sort of situation. God does seem, in that sense, absent. We don't have the actual person of Christ able to stand next to us in that sense. Although, as I said, we do have him in, in his holy word. We have him present in the sacraments of our holy mother, the Church. We have him present with us as his mystical body. But yet we. If you think about despair, or despair and despondency over the absence of Christ, you consider about how much of the world really lives in some sort of despair, some sort of despondency, about so many different things. I mean, go to the third world, and sometimes you don't even need to go to the third world for an example of this, but people uh, having, having you know, despair over not having food, not having proper shelter, not having peace, not having security in their borders, things like that. In the Western world, we tend to have, you know, despair perhaps over not having enough income or not being able to have a community that we feel a part of or not having some sort of meaning in our life. The Christian, be it in the Western world or anywhere, the Christian then, uh, perhaps if we can move beyond those things, we have a, uh, we have a leg up, as it were, but yet we still have some things, perhaps, that we can, we can at times despair of. And one of them is that, as I said, that seeming absence of God in our lives at times. Where we pray and it doesn't seem like it's doing anything. We pray and it's a very dry sort of thing. We try to meditate on Holy Scripture and we find ourselves distracted. And it's very easy to fall into that despair over a seeming absence of God. And we should, as St. John Chrysostom alludes to, we should hate sinfulness. We should hate, hate our falls. You know, we don't want to fall again. We don't go out intending to sin. And when we do, we grieve over the fact that we have, that we've hurt others, that we've hurt God, we've hurt ourselves. But we cannot, as St. John is referring to here, we cannot despair and fall into despondency. Anything that's going to take us, take us farther away from what is useful, as he says, after gathering from that initial feeling what is useful, we need to let the superfluous go. We cannot fall into despair. And it is something of a commandment, even as we saw in the Gospel today. Something of a a commandment 
in that he speaks of the coming, Jesus speaks of the coming of the Holy Spirit in what terms? He refers to the Holy Spirit as the Comforter. Right? We found that an interesting word. Comforter. The one who, who will do many things, the Holy Spirit will do many things and still does do many, many things within the body of Christ, within the world. But among them, the Holy Spirit will come to take away despair, to take away despondency, to give hope, to help keep Christians comforted, not just making us feel good, but actually relieving, relieving those things that make us dwell in darkness and in despair and in despondency. Well, you might still ask, though, you might still ask, isn't, couldn't there be something better? Couldn't there be something better? You've got the Holy Spirit, sure, that's, and we've got him in the sacraments, we've got our Lord in, 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 in his word. But wouldn't, what would that be like if Jesus were here? I mean, I don't think this would be anything compared to what it would be like if Jesus were here just leading us and sharing with us immediately, face to face. Could you imagine that? We might be, will, we might be tempted to think that way. You know, gosh, if he were just here, my faith, I wouldn't have to worry about my, my trials of faith because I, well, I could, if I needed to, I could just reach out and touch the nail holes, right? I could, I could just talk to him. I could, I could see him right here, resurrected. Wouldn't that be easy? Wouldn't that just be the, the, the balm to all of our, all of our, our, our trials, the balm to all of our, our despair of faith, all of our periods of dryness in our, in our spiritual life? Wouldn't that just do it? Well, as we'll see in just a moment, I, I don't think so. And it's not just that I don't think so. I've actually taken that on some good authority from the fathers of the church. But I'd share with you just a, a story, perhaps, to kind of flesh this out a bit. Um, a few of you have met Linus. My, my, Shelley's in my little, new, little Australian shepherd pup. He's about six months old. Uh, and I've told you stories about Alban before, my, another blind and deaf Australian shepherd. Uh, Linus is uh, even more, um, I guess I'm using the word handicapped, he's more challenged, to be politically correct. He's more challenged than Alban is. He has uh, absolutely no hearing whatsoever. His sight is much worse than Alban's than Alban's ever was. Um, little Linus has almost no sight. You can see a little bit of light out of one eye. Um, and he's having a, has had a real hard time learning to deal with stairs. As you know, we have a, a rather long flight of hardwood stairs. They don't even have carpeting on them for his, his poor little paws to, to make good traction on We've got hardwood. And I've been working with, with little Linus to try to get him to go up and down stairs. He's finally got the going up part down pretty well. He can do that. Going downstairs, if you can imagine being a four-legged creature, just, just try going down. Don't do this. Imagine going down stairs on all fours sometime. It's difficult. Then if you can't see, uh, and your legs aren't as long as the stair is uh, high, and you have to reach out in faith and, and see if there's something there, and kind of let yourself go before that little paw gets down to the next stair. That's what he's dealing with. And, uh, I'm probably making this more sentimental than I need to be, but it really, it really is difficult. And after I saw what he was dealing with, I realized it's a, it's a difficult leap for him to make those stairs. Um, so I've been working with him a little bit. I, I hold one hand in front of his, his breast, and I take one behind his hindquarters, and I kind of ease him down. And as he's putting one leg down, front leg down, I kind of ease it down until it touches. And we go down both flights of stairs this way. It would take me forever to get him down, down the stairs in the morning, but that's what you do. Well, he's been working and working on this, and yet he wasn't going downstairs. Finally this week, I brought him in or something, and I went upstairs in the evening. Shelley was downstairs, and I sat down to send an email, and I, I got engrossed in what I was doing. And uh, 
Pretty soon Shelley said, Hey, what's he doing down here? Well, he needed some water. And I, I was working. <laughs> and I hadn't even noticed that he managed to go down the stairs. And I wasn't there. And he had to go down. And he managed to do it. He brought himself to go down the stairs all by himself. Now I think had I been there, you, you can imagine what would have happened. I would have went, oh, it's okay, I'll help you down the stairs. And I would have helped him down the stairs. He never would have done it on his own. Now maybe you've had this sort of experience with children. There comes a point when you kind of have to let them go. And you know, maybe they're going to fall. Maybe he's going to slide down a couple of stairs. Maybe the child's going to fall and learning how to ride a, two, a two-wheeler, whatever it might be. But if the parent's constantly there, well, sometimes the parent wants to constantly make sure the child's not going to fail. And so it was with the sending of the comforter. Jesus even says, you know, it's expedient for you that I go away. I mean, this is going to be a good thing. Trust me, he says to his disciples. I know you don't want me to go. You're despairing over this. You're sorrowful. You're despondent. You're despairing. It's going to be good for you if I go. And imagine they they can't figure out how that could possibly be the case. He says, though, it's expedient for you that that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter won't come. The Holy Spirit, I can't ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to you. I've got to go away. And indeed, indeed, if that happens, if I go away and the Holy Spirit comes, greater things than you can imagine happening with me here will take place. Father Austin Ferrer, whom I've also shared with you in the past, he wrote once on the same gospel passage, he said, "Who who has not sometimes thought... If I could see Jesus Christ as he was on this earth, if I could talk with him, if I could have certainty from those divine lips and read assurance in those steady eyes, then I should lay hold of God. Who hasn't said that? If he could be here, I'd be okay. I'd be right on board with faith. And Father Ferris says, So we think, but not so does he teach. He's in the upper room, desiring in that last opportunity to enlighten his disciples' minds and to assure their faith. But beyond a point, he can't. He cannot teach them as fully, he says, as the Holy Ghost will teach them hereafter. It's not so much the word of Jesus knocking at the mind's door that secures his admittance. It is the God within drawing the bolts with invisible fingers. When your pride, he says, when your self-sufficiency has been shattered by the experience of my death, the Spirit will secure the admittance of all the truth you need to know. Father Farrah concludes, and so it is. After half an hour's repentance before the cross of Christ, the Spirit shows us what years of study cannot discover and what Christ present in the flesh might not even avail to make us see. It's got to be gone. It's got to be gone. There's going to be teaching that's going to come in His absence by the benefit of the Holy Spirit being with His church. Things that... He wouldn't even be able to move the church to if he were with us all the time. That half hour's meditation, hour and a half meditation before the cross of Christ, half an hour's repentance before his cross, the Spirit is able to do what years of study couldn't, and even what Jesus being present in the flesh might not be able to do. So it was for the disciples. So it is for us. And in a sense, then, we have the benefit. And we are the beneficiaries of. 2,000 years of that being the case. 
We are the, the beneficiaries of 2,000 years of Holy Mother Church. Uh, the church is learning and growing and understanding God and being able to describe and explain the moving of the Holy Spirit. We are the beneficiaries of that. And so now we wait liturgically, in this, this fourth Sunday after Easter, we wait liturgically for the descent of the Holy Spirit. I mean, on, on Whitsunday, on Pentecost, just a few weeks off, we wait for that. But we know that the Holy Spirit uh, did come, was given to the church 2,000 years ago. And we know that the Holy Spirit is always with us now. And as we could not grow as the church, we could not grow as individual Christians if we were not, as it were, as it were allowed to solo. And a little Linus wouldn't have figured out how to go down the stairs if I wouldn't have just let him do it without me helping him. And we could not grow as the church, we could not grow as Christians if we weren't allowed to go solo, but by the guidance and the leading and the aid of a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who indeed is our comforter, who is our guide. And that's alive today. That's not just something that was given to the disciples you know, 2,000 years ago. That, that's actually something we're supposed to be discerning and working with and, and, and living in our own lives here as Christians today in the year 2011 in Galesburg. Discerning where the Holy Spirit leads us, how, how God still teaches us through living our lives as Christians. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for, for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. How be it, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you the things to come. That's comfort. It is for me, anyway. I believe, indeed, for every Christian... Every Christian, knowing that the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us into those things to come, who is with us every step of the way, and that is comfort, that is truth, that's the power of the risen Jesus Christ, who with the Father in the unity of the same Holy Spirit lives and reigns ever, one God, world without end. Amen.